Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Welcome. It's Kevin Ellis, as always, on Friday. And you're listening to Vermont Viewpoint, the public affairs show where we try to explain Vermont and the nation and understand our politics, culture, and democracy on WDEV. And welcome to everyone listening on the radio and online at WDEV Radio and on the free WDEV Radio app. Today is Friday, July 21st, and we continue to focus on the floods that have wrecked so many of our communities. And we continue with the theme, what's next? What's next for all of us, homeowners, business owners, government? What do we all do next in the face of what is obviously a changing climate in which Mother Nature will deliver increasingly crushing blows to our human environment? As always, we take our, your calls. We know you have questions and we will get you answers. The number to call is 802-244-1777 and we welcome your calls and your stories. The email is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. If you email that address, it will come to me, and I will uh, read it immediately, and we can address it on the air. Uh, here's the show for today. We're going to head to Barry. Uh, we're going to try to understand what happened there and discuss how people there were affected and what they are doing to clean up. We'll be joined by Barry Mayor Jake Hemrick uh, in about, at about the 9-10 hour um, we're also going to talk to Seven Days reporter Courtney Lambden, who spent basically the entire flood period in Barry, much of it at Bob Nelson's uh, Hardware right there on Main Street. Um, and uh, so we'll talk to Courtney as well. At 10.30, well, we'll and, and in, uh, at 10 o'clock, we'll go to Washington, D.C. and have our weekly talk with Bob Nay, our Washington, D.C. correspondent about all things D.C., uh, and at 10.30, we'll open the phones, we'll talk about news, we'll talk about where you can donate, we'll talk about uh, what uh, Bernie, uh, Senator Peter Welch, and Rebecca, Representative uh, Becca Ballant are doing in Washington. Um, so a lot, to, and at 11, uh, Governor Phil Scott will give another one of his flood briefings. We will, of course, carry it live here on WDEV. So a lot to get to today, but first... A Friday essay. The floodwaters have receded. Basements are for the most part empty. The sun is out and we are breathing a bit. The adrenaline rush of the first week of flood rescue and helping has come to an end. And now we are on to the harsh reality of what comes next. Remember last week, Vermont Strong we rushed downtown, picked out our favorite shop where we buy our books, our tools, our coffee. We put on boots and gloves and started ripping. Then we went to the basement for the foulest of work. Three feet of water, everything a toxic, disgusting mess. But the work was done. Store owners, many having experienced Hurricane Irene in 2011, some going through the flood of 92, worked alongside. There was no plan, no system in place, just people... Folks pulling together, saving their community. That was the easy part. 
The decisions were fairly simple, whether to rip out the shelf, how to get the cooler out the back door. It didn't matter whether you were a certified plumber or had any skill. You just pitched in. And as I said, now comes the hard part. How do you pay for all this cleanup, dry out, and repair? How do you pay rent? Who pays that bill, the landlord or the business owner? How do you pay for staff, which has now become your cleanup crew? Where is FEMA? What are Bernie, Welch, and Ballant doing? The governor is having weekly press conferences, actually daily press conferences, and issuing updates. But where is the cavalry? The garbage has been on the sidewalk for a week. In New Orleans, for Hurricane Katrina, there was a tall, strong-looking, in-charge army guy at the airport who eventually took control of all rescue operations. That person is not here. I spoke to five business owners this week about the ultimate question. Do you rebuild? Here are some of the answers. I can't even get the landlord to answer the phone. Why would you rebuild a business when you know this will just happen again and soon? We need to move this city. This is insane to have the state capital at the intersection of two rivers. As I said, the adrenaline rush of the first week is gone. Downtown Montpelier is deserted, save for the trucks, the hum of generators, and assorted insurance adjusters, FEMA folks, and business owners. The heroes of the first week have gone back to work and their lives. The despair on the faces of the business owners is real and deep. One, la- one landlord approached his tenant in a parking lot and asked, Are you okay? She paused a deep, uncomfortable, desperate, exhausted look that said, I just don't know. And she went back to shoving stuff into her Subaru. As always, with disasters, there's a big gap between what is happening in real life and what the political system delivers Peter Walk explained that gap on Vermont Viewpoint this week. He's a former top environmental official in New York and for Governor Scott here in Vermont and a Navy vet who knows disasters. He said governments are well-suited to take care of long-term problems, but not so good at the immediate. He was volunteering for the immediate. Water, bleach, food, socks, a friendly face, ripping out soaked sheetrock. In the immediate... Downtown Montpelier and the many other towns that have been devastated, Johnson, Londonderry, Richmond, Morrisville, Barrie, are starting to wonder about their future. Their business owners will dig out, but then they need cash. Not a loan. They need cash right now to pay staff, rent, buy equipment, not to mention pay themselves so they can make a rent payment or a mortgage payment on their own homes. We now have several funds to raise that money. We will keep talking about them on this radio show and listening to them, listing them on websites and social media. Please give and keep giving. Otherwise, that lovely golden capital dome that everybody loves so much, that symbol of small d democracy here in Vermont is very endangered. We'll be right back. We're back. It's WDEV. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis. We'll take your calls throughout the day, as we always do, 244-1777. But first, we're going to go to Barry. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about Montpelier, but we need to go spend uh, some time in Barry. And our first guest to do that, to help us do that, is the mayor of Barry, Jake Hemrick. Mayor, welcome to the show. Kevin, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for covering Barry. And I understand you have 
Courtney Landon on the show too. You couldn't have a better journalist. I, I tried to get Bob Nelson, but uh, he's a little busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is. I, I, I stopped into the shop uh, the other day, uh, pick up some spray bottles, and yeah, he's he's got his hands full. So let's. Uh, well, first of all, Jake, where do we find you today? Are you on your bike riding around town? Or are you at your day job? Or <laughs> well, where are you? No, I'm, I'm in I'm in my dining room right now. Okay. It's uh, more, uh, yeah, uh, keeping things, um, keeping track of things. Uh, but I did do an interview with uh, NBC Five this morning. The rain's coming down. Uh, the team's really watching the, the weather as it comes in, uh, and as they continue to assess damage and keep an eye on the the 14 landslides that we've seen around the city. So, can we go back to the beginning? Uh, this, you know, in Montpelier. Sure. You know the confluence of two rivers, etc. But but things were a little different in Barry. What what actually happened? Yeah, well, what, we, what I saw happening in Montpelier was a lot of inundation at deeper waters, and in Barry, um, we we still had inundation, but it seemed like we had a lot more uh, velocity behind the water. We had a lot of um, just a tremendous amount of sediment um, and muck come in, but we also saw a lot of erosive damage even on higher elevation streets. So on the jail branch, for instance, it's undermining um, a condo development. Six condo units had to be um, evacuated. A home up on Courier Street, uh, uh, pretty pretty high elevation near the street where Governor Scott grew up, um, a house had to be evacuated uh, and washing out streets. So uh, so not only did we get the inundation, but we got a ton of erosive damage to to streets and homes. Um, I, I just read an essay and that I wrote, and and uh, I, I I'm walking the mm-hmm. streets of Montpelier every day, and these these store owners are really uh, you can see the despair on their faces, and I know you know they're yeah. it, it's like the uh, phase one has kind of come to an end where. People join in. They're mucking out basements, etc. The adrenaline's pumping, and uh, you know there's a oh, there's a camaraderie, and 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 we're gonna all recover. Mm-hmm. But now the hard questions be, be uh, sort of take hold about how we're gonna pay for all this. How are you as the mayor? Yeah. How, are you, how are you approaching this? Well, you know, I think I think your point about just processing all that's happening um, is a good one, and. Or, you know, some people are moving into that recovery phase and how do we move forward? How do we pay for it? But I, I don't think we can gloss over that there's still a lot of response happening. We yeah. have a hundred homes that have been red or yellow tagged. We have people still waiting for pump outs. I heard from the, um, uh, a board member of the old, uh, socialist labor hall on Grand Street still waiting for a pump out, um, waiting for the, you know, fuel remediation. As we know, rain's um, continuing today. We have apartments without power, many buildings without power. At the same time, we have businesses that are starting to reopen. Pearl Street Pizza's reopened. Um, some had less inventory impact. In, in Barry, it was more an impact to flooded basements than, um, than a lot of first-floor businesses. But there were some first-floor businesses that were low enough that um, that they're not able to, to reopen. So how do we pay for it? I think... Um, it's a, it's a million dollar, it's a multi-million dollar question right now, but I'm thankful for the Main Street Fund 
that was launched by uh, Treasurer Pichak and Sumintari Capstone Community Action. That's going to create some low barrier funding. I donated to that recovery fund. It's VT Recovery. 2023.com. You can give to help um, uh, to help uh, small businesses that are, are the heart and soul of our downtowns and villages uh, reopen. And uh, and I sold it to Central Vermont Economic Development Corporation, um, right. led by Melissa Bounty, starting to do some business support workshops. So information starting to flow. We know there's going to be gaps. We're going to have to continue to talk and work together to fill what are the funding gaps so that so that people can feel confident that um, that they're not taking on more risk than they can handle. Uh, we talk about the role of government. Uh, right, right now, it seems that this is, you know, business owners and friends and neighbors mucking out the basement, drying it out, uh, talking to their contractors. And as uh, I had deputy, former deputy ANR secretary Peter Walk on the show, and he, he talked about how yeah. how government's not that good in the first few days, and it, it just takes a while for government to kind of kick in. Uh, what 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 do you see? You know, the governor himself is is being is on the air all the time with updates. Mm-hmm. When, what's the role of state government here? Gosh, well, I, I do want to say thank you to Governor Scott, the administration, the congressional delegation, and uh, President Biden. I think you know Governor Scott issued an emergency, a state of emergency, really early, um, and uh, and I know they're doing everything they can to to help uh, to help Vermont recover, and we're going to need we're going to need their help in partnership. You mentioned that Peter um, Peter Walker, I respect a great deal. Um, said that, you know, governments may not be as great in the initial response and also um, tend to be more better at longer-term things. And I kind of think that government's better in that that midterm. It's designed to be uh, responsive, and and we've seen that, you know, governments have had a really hard time dealing with uh, the long-term impacts of of climate change. And the reality is that we know that uh, these storms are going to continue to come, and, uh, and, and we need to adapt to withstand the climate crisis. So so what's next or what can government do? I think in the immediate um in the media we need the experts that that just aren't lodged in local government. We need geologists, we need structural engineers, uh we need the the resources of the state government to come to bear um on things that local government can't can't do. And and one example of that is just the, the accelerating the paving schedule in these impacted areas. The city of Barrie just put in its own money to pave a state highway that was so worn out because we were just fearful that it couldn't hold up into the next paving cycle of twenty twenty seven and we get about $150,000 of state highway aid to maintain 50 miles of road. Um, so we're, we're going to need that, that type of funding support, not only for infrastructure, but for our people and for our businesses um, and the expertise uh, that, that is essential to, um, to solving public problems. So you've touched on, uh, I think paving is a great analogy because I'm hearing nationally and even locally from people who are saying, you know, you cannot rebuild these communities in these places. And I, mm-hmm. my mind goes to the Netherlands where they have figured this out. Uh, it yeah. seems to me we need some very large brains who have been through this kind of thing before to help us. I mean, maybe the governor should appoint a special commission chaired by 
smart people, staffed by smart people, and we hire a consultant from the Netherlands to tell us how to let this water uh, flow into wetlands, sluice through basements, uh, not never put electrical downstairs anymore, um, and 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 start thinking about ways. I mean, it's all about resilience and adaptation, it seems to me, at this mm-hmm. point. And if we just pave ba- pave yeah. back over what we have, aren't we just uh, asking for it? Yeah, you know, Kevin, I think that's an excellent point, and it's um, it's when you, I think you know, we uh, we can't immediately divest. We have to have a long term strategy, like from places where that are built up and where people are have homes, but we need to have a more long term plan and thinking about the ecosystem services across the landscape, um, and that means better governance, better travelways, better infrastructure. Um, better uh, greenways, uh, waterways. So, um, it, it, and we have you know 251 municipalities. So much planning happens um, at a hyper local level, but we need to get to the the statewide um, level planning. And there's so much smart planning happening in places like Netherlands that have to um, that have to make the most of uh, wetlands and ecosystem services and floodplains and riparian buffers, while at the same time making space for um, safe homes, safe businesses. Um, and uh, and if they can't be completely flood safe, we need to start making places more flood ready. And an example of that might be just let's get the utilities out of the cellar. Let's let's elevate the foundation a little bit more um, so that what, that way the, the, the costs and impacts next time uh, a flood happens, we're a little bit more ready. And so much of our focus has been on decarbonization. You know, it's a really important strategy, but we need to we need to get very serious about um, the built environment, how we build our communities, and uh, it, it's got to be smarter than building back what we have now. We got to build back better. Yeah, and now exactly. Um, okay, so Mr. Mayor, tell us where you are right now in the clean out the muck out. Uh, on that band from sort of muck out to recovery. Uh, I know the Barry Auditorium was opened. I, I, I'm I'm the chair of the board at Downstreet Housing, and we had yeah. to relocate some people from Montpelier to uh, to the Aud. Uh, what's the is the is the Aud open right now as a shelter? Oh, it is. It is open, and they have uh, capacity. The numbers um, go up and down. The multi agency resource center. Uh, reopened uh, this morning at 9 a.m. It's a place to get food, water, supplies, meet federal and state agencies for assistance and recovery. We know there are you know, a lot of people who will be able to navigate uh, those systems on their own, but uh, there, will, there are a lot of people that, that need um, somebody to, uh, to walk them through. And in addition to the Red Cross, we have a ton of the, um, people from the faith community uh, helping people. The Rainbow Bridge Community Center has stepped up in an unbelievable way uh, for neighbor-to-neighbor, people-powered assistance, uh, connecting um, re- resources to needs uh, at, at, at the grassroots level. So uh, that's happening across the city. And I just couldn't, I couldn't be prouder of the city and all the everybody that's pulling together to make sure that um, the people are safe and supported. Give us a, give us a highlight, a story of inspiration to, to boost people's spirits. What you, you're riding your bike around. I, I'm a fan of your Instagram feed. So 
uh, you're, you give us a tour pretty much every day. Tell us what's going on on the ground. Tell us some stories. Um, well, I just, I just filled a, a phone call yesterday, um, to, uh, from a resident on the, uh, north, north side of Barry, North Barry. And, uh, she, um, has, you know, is just feeling exhausted, uh, stressed, uh, telling me about the difficulties of trying to find, um, the right contractor to get fuel oil out of her basement. Um, not knowing what's next, not know if she knowing if she can afford um, what's going to be required, and uh, but but at the same time, um, you know, just making making time to touch. I, it's I'm sorry. Um, she I, I'm a, she was so strong and uh, sharing what was going on and taking time and thanking me. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations like that, biking around the city, talking to people, giving hugs. Um, yeah. So we're yeah. still, so we're giving still there. With- we're still there. We're not, we're not, we have not emerged into, you know, uh, we're putting in new floors and new walls. We're still in that, that. No, I think, yeah, I think so. Well, some people are getting in, into that phase and then some people are, um, but two days ago I, I was, talking um, with her, her helping clean out a basement. And there was a resident who was trying to sort through some of her precious keepsakes that were in her basement. Um, Things that are from her grandmother and from her kids. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's heartbreaking. We all accumulate these things over the course of our lives. And, um, and, and when you have to face that, it's, uh, it, it hits home, right? It, yeah. And and you, Jake, you personally, you know, you you have a day job uh, working for the state, and uh, how, how do you balance those two things personally in your own life? Yeah. So, well, fortunately, um, I've had uh, a supervisor who's um, really understanding, and I'm taking you know, personal leave um, to help respond to. Uh, the needs in the city, um, but also I'm, we're so lucky to have uh, an amazing city manager, Nicholas Strelli Castro. He had his one-year anniversary and his first crisis uh, just this week. Um, so we're fortunate to have him and all the emergency uh, responders, first responders, city staff, the volunteers who are uh, in the thick of it day to day, making sure that happens. Um, and uh, so I can pop in and make sure that I'm uh, making getting getting my day job must do's done uh jake hemrick uh tell us what the city council you as as if i understand how it works in barry i believe you're president of the city council is that right yeah the role of the mayor is to chair the meetings of, of city council so we're a seven member council we have uh three wards two councilors each ward we all serve two-year terms and uh and we met last week and we're going to meet again on Tuesday. What's what's on your agenda? What what does the city council face? This is the this is the stuff that you know guys like me on the radio are always focusing on the macro stuff and what's Bernie doing or what are the what's the governor doing and but uh you know the city council has to dig down deep into the granular details of how to actually recover and pay for a recovery. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last week we were just getting in that info. We were in that information sharing and collection stage. We got a brief um, from the city manager and we provided fee relief uh, to um, the community for uh, permitting and for um, and, and suspended parking enforcement. And we're also going to uh, look at authorizing the manager to abate water and sewer bills for all customers impacted by the floods. So what what that means for the city is that um, our revenues are, are going to be, we expect that there's going to be substantial impacts to uh, the city's revenues next year. And there's a little bit of uncertainty about um, uh, what, what that, what that means in terms of federal aid. Uh, so we're also looking at authorizing the manager to execute a contract with a disaster consulting expert um, who knows how to navigate uh, the systems of FEMA and can advise uh, the council and staff on um, how to best uh, maximize the assistance available to the city so we can build back um, and respond uh, with all the resources that are available. Jake, I, as I said, I walk around the streets of Montpelier a lot, and uh, God, the garbage is just still everywhere. And first, the sun came out yeah. and started baking it, and now it's raining again. And I know the governor has contracted mm-hmm. with an out-of-state waste firm uh, that can come in with giant trucks and these big cranes and grappler grapples that just pick it up and put it in the yeah. truck. Are those trucks going to come to Barry, or do you not have the garbage problem that that uh, Montpelier has? We do seem to have less of a garbage um, problem than, than Montpelier, and I think that was related to the depth of the first floor flooding in Montpelier, but we still have plenty of uh, solid waste. The city, uh, as I understand it, has contracted with some um, haulers and uh, providers of dumpsters, and we've been uh, moving those to uh, the transfer stations. We also partnered and in, in communication with the Central Mall Solid Waste Management District. They had a hazardous waste uh, collection yesterday on Thursday down at Rotary Park, um, making sure that those toxins are, are being diverted from the landfill, like paints and chemicals um, that can be. Uh, and, uh, and and as for the state assistance, I'd have to I have to check with the, the manager on that. I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard. Um, what what do you do today? Uh, well, t- today um, today I've been uh, just continuing to stay on top of communication. We're getting ready for uh, a FEMA open house next week, um, so that's going to be Monday at uh, July 24th from five to seven in the opera house. And so we're going to have FEMA there. It'll be an opera, a great way to get a pulse on how the intergovernmental assistance um, is working and the questions that people are experiencing on the ground level. Um, We're continuing to welcome volunteers. We have a volunteer sign up on the website, barrycity.org. There will be, we expect that there'll be opportunities uh, again on Saturday. Uh, And we also just know that um, people need, um, some relief and levity, and, th- and thanks to Ben and Jerry's and ice cream and, and FEMA, we are going to be opening the pool for a free pool day on Saturday, July 22nd. Um, I know, you know, particularly kids have been feeling uh, all these stress and anxiety um, that that surrounds them, and so from 12:30 to 2:30 p.m., the pool is is going to be open, and people can get some ice cream and just connect and have an opportunity to pause, relax. And, uh, and 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 have a normal moment. Oh, fantastic! Okay, um, 
let's uh, let's take a call. Actually, we have Donna from Barry on the line. Uh, Donna, you're on the line with the mayor. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm just wondering um, if the mayor is going to come down to downtown Barry and, and visit all the different businesses. Um, we haven't seen him around. Oh yeah, which business are are you at, Donna? Because I've been down multiple times. I prefer not to say. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'd be happy. Well, if you want me to stop in, it'd be that. Let me know where you are, and I'll I'll get down there. But I've been downtown uh, nearly every day and have stopped in many businesses. So. Oh yeah, we. I just I don't even I I'll be not to be rude, but I don't even know what you look like. I don't know if I even recognize you, but I just. Yeah, well, you're more than welcome. On. My picture's on the website, and my my phone number is is there. My my home address is there. Um, very accessible. So uh, feel free to text or call or email, um, and you can you can catch catch my catch my face there, so you can recognize me when I'm downtown. Okay. Thank you, Donna. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. Uh, Jake, th- this literally. You must have a document on your computer uh, that sort of lists all the tasks that are in front of you and in front of the city and the city council. How do you keep it all straight? Well, I, you know, I think my 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 gut reaction to that is uh, I'm a, I'm a planner and I like to uh, be organized and uh, and and uh, so group, grouping tasks by priorities and thinking about uh, what the next steps are. But, you know, Kevin, a question that was asked me during the uh, mayoral debate a year and a half ago is, um, will you be ready uh, for a disaster? And, uh, and my answer to that was um, to remind uh, to remind the viewers that uh, we're a council manager form of government. That means we have a professional administration. We have uh, assigned emergency responders. My job is to chair the council and to be supportive uh, of staff and also hold the staff uh, accountable um, and make sure that the, the government's working. So, and uh, and I'm, that's what we're going to be doing on Tuesday night at the city council meeting is is working with them to make sure that they have the resources they need to to do their job because the city staff is just uh, amazing. They've been digging deep. They've been working hard, and uh, and that's my number one priority on that list. Do you think um, that that system? Because we have that system in Montpelier, and I sometimes wonder whether that system works anymore. Uh, do, do you think it is a it, it is a better system than having a, a larger city, strong mayor, administration kind of uh, system? Does it does it still work in these modern times? Yeah, that's a good question. That's probably a question for another show. But uh, you know, I think there 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 are many models of local government, and they're all choices. They all have advantages and disadvantages. Um, and, uh, and, and I, 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 I think one of the strengths of the council manager form of government is that you have that steady, um, expert, uh, public administrator, yeah. uh, who, uh, yeah, who knows, um, knows the, the, the com- how complex government is and is in it every day. Um, and it's not, you know, a new person every two years. Uh, what the trade-off is, is that it might be a little less responsive, uh, politically, but it tends to be a bit steadier. Yeah. What am I missing? What am I not asking? What's on your agenda going forward? Uh, it, what, what should be we looking forward to here? Guys, well, my priority before the disaster, and even more so after the disaster, is to um, 
is to um, build homes in Barry City. We've had uh, we have the second oldest housing stock in the state. We have a median household income under forty thousand. Um, our population has been declining, and you know we have a, a lot. I, I expect we're going to have a, a net loss of uh, housing units. So, so my priority is is really thinking ahead and how can we build more homes in Barry City yeah. um, to to make sure people have a, a safe place to call home and and that's the foundation of health. Which brings me to my last question, which is. The legislature just passed a multi-million dollar housing bill that encourages us, mm-hmm. us all to build housing downtown. And right now, that is looking like a, a, a fool's errand. Uh, uh, now, <laughs> should we be building housing downtown, uh, both affordable and market rate? Well, I think that bill is a little bit more more nuanced than just building uh, downtown, yeah, but this of is about building in and around uh, community centers and and uh, and to build. And our statewide land use goal is to build compact uh, settlements surrounded by working farms, forests, and open space. You know, a lot of the reason we have such terrible floods is because we have such irresponsible um, sprawl that's happening around the state. Long driveways that create impervious surface that uh, flow downhill into our into our downtowns, but there's plenty of examples. Like I looked at the the Montpelier Transit Center and how well that seemed to um, yeah. uh, have all the units up above the the flood level. It was built smart um, and built to withstand this this type of event. But to the extent that we can build completely flood safe housing, um, I think that's that's still possible in and around downtowns. And we're going to have to uh, uh, think about. Um, uh, management of our rivers and uh, the areas that are at risk. Um, one thing that always concerns me about um, is, is you know, some of the um, floodplains have some of the least resourced uh, neighborhoods, and um, and so how do we support environmental justice for those areas like the the North End, Second, Third, Fourth Street? Um, uh, because uh, the the likelihood that there'll be enough resources to buy out those areas is unlikely. Right? Yeah. Um, so how do we make sure that they're not left behind? Jake Hemrick, the mayor of Barry, uh, it's we're very grateful to you for joining us. Uh, I'm on my way over there uh, to the Downstreet headquarters uh, to clean out on Keith Avenue, and then we're going to be over in an apartment building mucking out the uh, basement. So maybe I'll see you on the street. Uh, after, at about noon. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll have you on again. Kevin, it was a pleasure, and I hope I can find Donna downtown. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to Donna, uh, right. I'll be walking the streets as well. Mayor Jake Hemrick, uh, thanks for joining us. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. We're taking your calls at 244-1777. We are sticking with flooding because that is what has happened up and down this state. Central Vermont has been hit incredibly hard, and we're going to stick with it. Um, as we move ahead here, we will try to, in the later parts of the show, uh, uh, we've got a new uh, segment on books that you can read this summer, book recommendations. Uh, we've got the... Uh, Vermont Viewpoint film critic Keenan Ellis uh, in the in the queue in uh, in Hollywood, California. Uh, he'll be coming on the, a future show to talk about these blockbuster films, uh, the Barbie film, the Oppenheimer film, and Mission Impossible, among others. Uh, I am gonna 
just run if I have to to the Oppenheimer film. I've been a Oppenheimer aficionado for a long time. But uh, so we are not just going to talk about the bad side of this. We're going to try to you know give people options for how to how to best uh, how to best manage all this uh, flood news. But before we do that. We're going to go to uh, the phones because Andrea in Randolph has been waiting. Andrea, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I just, I'm good, thank you. I've listened to a lot of this, and uh, our heart goes out to Montpelier and Barry from Randolph, and it's it's been difficult to listen to, and we lost a good friend, um, uh, Steve Duvall, a couple years older than me from Randolph, and that was a big shock to our community and, of course, yours. And I think about the retrospect of 250-some-odd years ago when the Capitol was being considered in Randolph Center, and all the reasons that it was and the reason it wasn't was because it was near the railroad, but, boy, was it up on the hill. Right. And it's a change. But when I also... um, wonder about the future of uh, Vermont College of Art and that campus being up high. My son came in from Worcester trying to get to work at Staples a couple weeks ago or right after the storm. And they were impacted slightly and water running through their driveway, but he made his way through and he said, oh, I'm going through up by the, on the college campus. He goes, this is beautiful up here. I've never been through here. And that's how he got himself to work through around Montpelier. But with their change of location and what's the future of that campus and how could that aid in the business district of Montpelier and, and making a change for better and higher presence in the community away from the Riverside? Is that a possibility? You know, Andrea, I have an answer for you, and that is that um, this is not a crazy idea. Uh, we, and I will devote a whole show to this, the notion of how to build differently and the ways we're going to have to change the way we live. This is, we're not going to be able to live the way we have been living. And that's a reality. You're raising a good question. I know that there is a purchase and sales agreement. We had her on the show, Rebecca Holcomb, who is buying uh, many of the buildings at the college. It's not a done, it's not a done deal yet, but it's an educational engineering startup for undergraduate students in, in STEM education. Um, that's fabulous. Yeah. It's, it's good news for Montpelier and good news for the college. However, you know, that is a place that's got multiple beds right now. It's got dorms. It's got potential housing. It's got a commercial, it's got commercial kitchens. Uh, as I age, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I'd love to go back to college and live in a, live in a dorm room and walk across that beautiful green and, and go, go to my dining hall. Um, so, you know, could, could you leave downtown Montpelier where it is and start to develop that college with small businesses to start and then, uh, sort of grow from there? Put an electric trolley in that goes up and down that hill. Uh, every mm-hmm. 15 minutes or so. It's not a crazy idea, and we have to start talking about it. Yeah. And then the other piece of my what I'd like to offer is I'm with the White River Valley Chamber of Commerce, and if there's anyone traveling back and forth or in between who needs some temporary office space, we do have an office available. 
we're right at the bottom of Route 66, and the number there would be 728-9027. And then the co the the workers uh, co-op space is in downtown Randolph at the intersection of Merchants Row and Main Street, and they have. I just talked to. Lucas Ward, he and Rebecca, his wife, own the building. They're the Red Door Jewelry Store on the ground level, but they have seven empty suites right now. If there's someone who needs an office that can't work remotely from home and needs professional space, reach out to them. They're at 802-728-9027. Oh, excuse me. That's not right. Oh, say it. Go ahead. Say it again. Um, 802-369-9027. 0200, and you're going to reach Tim for that. Um, and they, I'm sure, would work with you on a month-to-month basis or as needed for people who are coming out of this situation and want some space. And boy, do you have a college up on the hill? <laughs> we do, and that's you know that's um, I'm, I bet you through the safe system, reach out. There's some space there if if, if you're in need. We did not experience what you did. It, it was nowhere near what touched us during Irene, yeah. but um, we we're, we sympathize, and people talk about it every day in the community, and we wish we could help more. Oh, you're you're there, and it, just for no other reason than having the Chandler Music Hall uh, as a place to come and see some great music, um, we uh, we thank you, and um, when, it, when it's your turn in the barrel, we will be there for you, too. Andrea, thanks for calling in. Thanks. Have a good day. You run a good program. Okay. Thanks a lot. That's Andrea from Randolph. Thanks for the well wishes. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Bob Nay in Washington, D.C. for our weekly uh, politics chat. And then we'll uh, do other things down the road. It's Kevin Ellis. It's WDEV. And it's Vermont Viewpoint. We'll be right back. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. This is Vermont Viewpoint, and we're going to go to Washington, D.C. for our weekly discussion with Bob Nay about all things Washington and politics. Bob, hello and welcome. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Okay, lot to get to. Uh, uh-huh. The president of Israel spoke to a joint session of Congress. Uh, the, the headline is that some progressive Democrats boycotted the speech because of Israeli treatment of Palestinians. But what's what's going I mean, that's the headline. But what, what's going on under this under the uh, headline there? Right. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people said to me last week, I didn't know Israel had a president. Right. Yes, they do. All you hear is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, because Prime Minister is the, is the top authority, you know, in their form of government. But, yes, you're right. Besides the uh, you know, the boycott, look, everybody that comes speaks there. I was there 11 years. Somebody boycotts, right? So this one was kind of built up big, but the uh, actual uh, truth of it is the prime minister, I thought, I mean, the president did a uh, 
a great job of saying, look, the two countries are together, they've been together, they will be together, uh, Israel's a democracy, and we understand, is what he said, that people have differences of opinions, and with friends that happens. So it, it went without uh, problem, you know, the speech did. And also while he was there, two things happened. One, a climate issue, uh, which Kamala Harris, the VP, worked with uh, the President of Israel on for uh, Midi, for the Mideast areas to do something about some soil uh, problems over in the Mideast. It's kind of an Arab-Israeli you know, good thing to do, I, I guess you could say. And then the second thing is a visa waiver program for Israelis to uh, get visa waivers when they come to the U.S. So those are two other side things that happened. Uh, Bob, I'm going to wade into Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gently. Wow. Okay. Uh, so there was a hearing. Uh, the mm. House that is controlled by Republicans. Uh, IRS agents uh, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler have alleged that the United States Attorney David Weiss, appointed by Trump, was prevented by the Justice Department from bringing charges against Hunter Biden uh, over various alleged crimes. Do I have that right? Yes. So, yes. Uh, and, and Weiss, the U.S. attorney, denies that that happened. Uh, and Republicans are making hay out of this. Marjorie Taylor Greene displayed sexually explicit images mm-hmm. from the yeah. laptop. From the laptop, right. Forcing Fox News to blur its broadcast. Um, does this uh, have any political uh, traction for Republicans versus Democrats uh, around the election, or are we just having a food fight here? Well, it's it's a little bit beyond the food fight. Uh, the traction isn't huge, but here, here's I think what what happened with it, and you know, and they they put up that picture of Hunter, and then they put up Rudy Giuliani with his uh, hair dye running. And I thought, okay, bo- both sides enough theatrics, but the actual whistleblowers' um, testimony got a lot more traction than some of the past uh, allegations with Hunter Biden and with him sitting there and his father supposedly in the room, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And he's talking to the to the uh, officials overseas. So th- that in itself has been uh, not a traction factor, but the whistleblower got a bit of, of something. Now, what was interesting, too, was the, the two witnesses, because they're not just like fly-by-nights. They've had some history there with the IRS. And Joseph Ziegler was very interesting because, ironically, uh, when a lot of the issues came up about Hunter Biden and nothing happened on taxes a few years back, Trump's people alluded to the fact that Ziegler was a Democrat and was helping Hunter Biden. Ironically, Ziegler uh, said that he was was Democrat, he uh, is gay, and the fact is that he um, you know, basically was – inferring he would vote for, you know, Democrats or Biden, but he actually was against the supposed light treatment that Hunter Biden got. So I think with these two witnesses, this has some traction. Now, as far as the as the plea deal, I believe that most people would feel that uh, Hunter Biden didn't get a slap on the, on the hand. He got a handshake. Uh, if anybody out there, I think, in this country that doesn't pay their taxes, they're not going to get charged probably a misdemeanor. And if you had a gun issue, uh, and I think I related 
on uh, on your show once about a guy in prison that I personally knew that got a year for having the same type of offense that Hunter Biden did with the gun. So I believe that, if anything, the whistleblowers points out the kind of sweet deal that Hunter Biden got from the government. Now, how much further this goes, I don't know. If they can break, if the Republicans, they can break into the fact that they have some form of concrete proof that somebody above these two whistleblowers absolutely did act, if they find an email or something, act to downplay this case, then it's going to have a little bit more traction. But um, for right now, you know, the, the plea deal, in my opinion, to answer your question, Kevin, politically, the plea deal kind of got everything out of the way before the 2024 elections for Biden. Uh, Bob, I, we've talked about this before, uh, and you've been in the White House. Uh, I, I, and I've said this many times before on this show and elsewhere. I cannot understand why when Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States and Barack Obama was the president, when Hunter Biden was, uh, in the midst of drug addiction and alcoholism and all of his troubles and agrees to go on the board of a Ukrainian energy company and being paid millions of dollars, why his father did not pull him into his house and say, you are not doing this, or at least the White House chief of staff. Uh, why, you know, I, I know these everyone's all human, but, uh, you know, you've got to ask why Barack Obama's chief of staff didn't didn't intercede here. I mean, oh, absolutely, because everybody knew about the drug addiction. Look, I'm in recovery. It'll be 17 years this September. And so, you know, I, I lay that right out front. Congrats. And I, oh, thanks. It's one day at a time, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> but, um, but thank you. But uh, I sponsored people. And I've also seen cases, you know, we had a football player in Ohio, and they said, well, he was in rehab 30 days, everything's cool, and it wasn't cool. You know, people need treatment. And so there's two things, and I've got to agree with you, nobody really points this out like like you have enough. One, they knew his situation. They knew the addiction. So why did not somebody step in from the White House level, from Obama's level, and say, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to lead to a good thing. But the other important thing is, too, you know, and I know you can't make things happen, but interventions could happen. He could be, you know, told you're not going on that board. You're not going to do these things. You need to clean up, you know, et cetera, and then get some long-term recovery. Because the question I have now is, you know, about the recovery, I, I hope, I hope it's, you know, long-term recovery with regular recovery meetings, et cetera. So, I think, yes, you're right. Those two issues have been somehow lost as to how that progressed like it did. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's just there's no excuse for it. Um, OK, uh, where are we with former President Trump? There is news mm-hmm. about this investigation of the documents um, that is advancing. Yes, it, it, I mean, it clearly looks, when you get a target letter and, you know, been there, done it. And yep. when you get a target letter, you, it tells your lawyers, you know, something's coming. Highly unusual if you get a target letter and nothing happens. So that means potential indictment on January the 6th. Now, Smith, the special prosecutor, I would assume would have to have some brand new undisclosed evidence because we all know for the last two and a half years, what was said, you know, what was done, 
and the Justice Department itself didn't move on anything. So with Smith as a special prosecutor, I would assume he's going to have to bring up you know something new. I would fully expect a barrage of charges will will be coming. You know, with, with this now. The political problem Trump has, and I, I also went through this. This is like went through this day for me. I know I sound like that, but when, when I got into problems and hard lawyers, my campaign account just drained. And when it drains, you have trouble running again and you get weakened. You know, there's a whole cycle there. Sure. And Trump is starting to drain basically his campaign account with, in his case, you know, 17 million here, 14 million there. So, and if, let's say Georgia moves on former President Trump or any of his former staff, then again, um, it becomes a legal matter where the, the former president tries to balance being a candidate and going to court and, you know, spending campaign money that he would want to spend on the airwaves. So it's becoming a very, very uh, complicated problem, I think, politically for uh Former President Trump and Republicans, I would think, because the, he's the front runner, and Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, seems to be uh, dropping. I mean, it, look, it's way early right. here, right? And right. Uh, we've never been down this road. It's going to be fascinating. It, it is, and you know, I look as a former candidate. I'm trying to think if I was running for Congress now, how do you sidestep all of this, everything? And and gets your mantra, your message to the voters, you know, balance the nation's budget, education, you know, on and on. How do you do that when, you know, we are living in kind of one of the most unique campaign times, I'll call it, you know, in modern American history. Yeah. So I think for the candidates, it's going to be a real, um, you know, kind of a semi-political mess. But let's see how, of course, it shakes out in 2024 in the beginning and who's really going to be the candidates. Bob Nay, as always, you uh, bring great wisdom. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, Bob Nay is just great. Oh, I love that. Love that visit uh, every week. We're going to come back with Courtney Lambden of Seven Days right after the break. I'm, Lis- I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV, and we welcome uh, Courtney Lambden to the phone. She's from Seven Days, and uh, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, we're surviving. Uh, headed over to Barry after this to do some cleanup, um, and I guess uh, from looking at this week's Seven Days, you were in Barry, and I've been in that. I've been in Nelson's Hardware many times myself. So when you got there. What did you find? Yeah, so uh, I didn't. I wasn't there when the store itself was flooded, but when I arrived last Wednesday, the basement was still full of a significant amount of water. Um, so, uh, for folks who aren't familiar, Nelson Ace Hardware is right on Main Street in Barrie, and um, like many stores down there, it 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 was you know struggling to clean up. Uh, you know, they had a layer of mud that was in the the main floor of the store that um, even still they were only closed for about a day and a half. Uh, but afterward, you know, all of the nice stuff that floodwaters wash in, it just, you know, there was an awful smell and smelled like oil and anything else. <laughs> it was, they didn't have power. It was, they were in rough shape, but they were open, which is why we decided to write about them. And, uh, 
Bob Nelson is has been there a long time. Uh, tell us about that family history. Yeah, so my understanding from meeting uh, Bob's dad, Carol, who's 91 years old, um, he had opened a store, I believe they first started in Montpelier, and it was a kitchen appliance and home goods store, and then expanded to Barry. I believe it was in 1969, perhaps. Um, and um, Bob was just four years old when that venture started on North Main Street. And um, they operated there for some time. They, that store closed in 1982, and in that spot now is the uh, Studio Place Arts right there, across like kind of kitty corner from where Nelson Ace Hardware is now. So the year after that, in 1983, Bob had just graduated from high school and decided not to go to college and instead to open what is now his hardware store with his parents. And he and his wife, Linda, purchased the business from them um, in 1992. So it's been there ever since. <laughs> his father, you have his father telling telling you about uh, how Nelson ordered a, a truckload of stuff. Uh, just as the storm hit, uh, and 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 praising him for thinking ahead. Uh, how long has Bob been doing this? I mean, he's just. I go in there. I go in there all the time, and you you get not only do you get great service, um, but you get him. Like he's right there. Yeah, absolutely. And he was for sure in in the middle of all of the cleanup. Um, he's been in charge for or oh, just over thirty years, and. Um, but yeah, his dad, it was really, it was really great to sit and talk with him. He was, like I said, he's 91 years old and is still pretty mobile. And, uh, there was a kind of some fun father-son interaction that I got to see where Carol was just kind of standing in one of the, uh, aisles because he said he wanted to be where the action is. And I think Bob was worried for his dad. I guess he'd had, you know, some, a medical procedure in the past and was worried about him breathing. And so he made him go outside and sit in a lawn chair. And I think he was perfectly happy there. Um, but yeah, they were both right in the mix really. And, you know, Bob, Bob was, you know, lugging stuff, taking inventory and just doing his job as if it was a regular day. Um, Courtney, you and your staff have been sort of fanned out over the, over the state covering this flood, what what are you taking away from this? Uh, I know you're spend most of your time covering Burlington, but what what do you what do you all sort of as you talk? What are you all taking away from this flood? What does it mean? Where do we go from here? Uh, I I just I see I still see despair on the faces of all these business owners, mostly in Montpelier where I am. Right, and so yeah, I mean as far as what I've seen, I. Immediately after the flood, I went to Waterbury, um, and I've since been Barry, which is where I grew up, um, and also I spent some time in Johnson this week. Um, so I think, you know, the takeaway is that this is going to be a long process, and I think, you know, people who have gone through Irene remember that and know that, um, but it's almost like they're just having to take things day by day or else it's just a little bit too overwhelming um, to process. And I think right now we're in sort of the early stages of cleanup where some homes don't still don't have power. They're still cleaning out mud. Um, and I don't think we know as far as the businesses, you know, which ones are going to bounce back, which ones aren't. 
Um, I mean, I think we're, of course, seeing the Vermonters helping their neighbors, which is to be expected and is, is heartwarming. But I, but like what you said, too, it, it, people are still there is this layer of despair, I think, you know, it's it's everything that people have worked for, whether it be their home or their their business is kind of in some cases gone. And you're a veteran of covering city councils and the sort of gritty, granular detail of how government works. Uh, we're going to face some serious decisions, whether it's in Burlington. Uh, I mean, we just passed a multi-million dollar housing bill in the legislature encouraging uh, downtown zoning and to change and for us to build affordable and market rate housing in downtowns. And business owners in Montpelier are looking at me saying, that's insane. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, why would we do that? Why would any business owner... Uh, return or come to a place like Montpelier at the confluence of two rivers uh, in the first place. Um, I had several business owners say to me, until they fix the north branch of the Winooski River that flows into this town, uh, we're not going to come back. What do you mean? Yeah, of? and I, I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, and, and that was one of the conversations that we had in our newsroom recently is we know that, that the state incentivizes settlement in downtowns, which historically have been formed by the river because, yeah. you know, that was that was the historic settlement pattern. The river was an asset. And that's where um, the power was. And that's right. where that's where you got your water. And of course, that's where in the old days you could dump all your trash. <laughs> exactly. So it's not, you know, it's not surprising. I think that's true of many downtowns, you know, not just in Vermont, but yeah. I don't really know if this is if this is going to be a point in time where people are questioning that. And Vermont does this and incentivizes it so that we don't have brawl. That's always been something that Vermont, you know, we don't want that. We don't want everything to look like, and no offense, Shelburne Road, Wilson Road. Um, yeah. We want it to be centered in downtowns. And I don't know how this is what this is going to do. Like. For businesses that are thinking of moving here and also ones that are going to rebuild, will they choose to rebuild in the same spot? It's, we don't know. And, and let me ask you a government dis, uh, a question. Where do those decisions take place? Uh, I mean, I, I was thinking this morning of the Netherlands, which exists underneath, beneath sea level. And you've got to believe that, uh, the governor should appoint a special commission, hire consultants from the Netherlands. Uh, who have done this to figure this out. I'm not sure we can figure this out at the select board level in Wilmington, Vermont, or at the city council in Barrie. I'm not sure we have the expertise. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And at the same time, I think there is, you know, some pressure to make decisions without necessarily waiting for those types of longer range studies or to find those experts or whatever. Like people may want to rebuild quickly, you know, like they're losing their, all these restaurants and things that I saw in Barrie, it's like they're all rushing to reopen so that they can recoup some of their losses and are saying, you know, come, come support us. The best thing you can do to support us is to come eat here or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so they're not, they probably don't want to hear the let's wait and see <laughs> sort of decisions, but I think you're right. I think you know, these are going to be some some big conversations that the state needs to have. Yeah, and, and probably uh, not at the local level, just at the local level. And at the very least, you you can no longer store your stuff in the basement. You cannot put <laughs> your mechanicals in the basement. 
It's got to be above ground. Um, and I think we do have the skills to do that, uh, change building codes, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you're right. Everyone from Nelson's Hardware to we got a call the other day from Jackson at the Morse Block Deli uh, just days after the flood. They were back open making sandwiches for people. So um, it's, uh, you know, tell us your overall feelings about Barry, given that you're from there. Uh, what did you see when you first rolled into town? What, what did you yeah. feel? I guess I'm asking, you know, what was your feeling? Was it despair or was it, did you have any optimism at all? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I mean, firstly, I by the time I could get to Barry, because, of course, like the interstate was closed and a lot of, I live in South Burlington, so it wasn't a, a direct route. You know, a lot of Route 2 was closed and the other ways of getting there. So by the time I arrived, you know, most of the streets were reopened. Um, and, of course, I've lived here my whole life. So I saw Irene and I saw you know, actually the spring flooding before Irene that did a lot of damage as well um, that same year. And so it, it was something I'd seen before, but it was it was honestly no less shocking to watch the videos of, you know, the bottom of Beckley Street. Um, my mom lives up that hill and, you know, it was horrifying to watch yeah. um, all anew. But when I, by the time I came Things were definitely in, in cleanup mode, but there were still some streets, like there was a lot of coverage of the congressional delegation's visit to Second Street, um, which is one of the lowest lying, I think, roads in the city. And it was, I mean, it was horrible to see, just covered in mud. Um, these people just like working so incredibly hard. Um, and of course, there's like two degrees of separation in <laughs> one degree of separation in Vermont. So it's like these are people that I know, you know, like or I know their neighbor or something like that. Um, so it was definitely an, a unique experience for me to go back home and write about the recovery. Well, they're going to need Bob Nelson. As he, there's a pull quote in your article in the paper in front of me that says when things are bad like this, that's when they need a hardware store. Boy, nothing is ever so true. Absolutely. Okay. Courtney Lambden, as always, thanks for joining us. Oh, by the way, is uh, Moreau Weinberger running for governor? <laughs> Not that I've heard yet. I, I don't know if this is, would be necessarily the right time for him to make such an announcement, yeah. but um, I think a lot of people are wondering what his plans are, and myself included. So we'll see. <laughs> You'll be asking. Exactly. And we'll read about it in seven days. Thanks for coming on. Say hi to Paula, as always, and uh, all the folks at Seven Days. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Courtney Lambden, Seven Days. We're back, and we're talking about floods. We're talking about recovery. We're talking about resilience. Um, I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. On WDEV, so I'm headed on. I'm headed over to Barry after this. Uh, I'm I'm on the board at Downstreet Housing. We build affordable housing throughout Central Vermont in um, Barry, Montpelier, Waterbury, and elsewhere, all the way down to Bradford, all the way up to Morrisville. Um, so we're going to do some mucking out of uh, apartments. We've had to move. Uh, relocate several families, uh, both from our Elm Street apartments in Montpelier and uh, some in Barrie. So we're going to muck out some basements, and um, we're also going to clean up our headquarters on Keith Avenue 
Uh, mo- the staff is over there right now. I'm going to go there right after the show. Um, so if you want to grab a rake, we're going to do the outdoors mostly. Uh, do Try to do some mulching and some planting and make it uh, beautiful for the residents. Um, if you're going into a basement, I have a recommendation for you. Uh, put on a mask, um, and I can tell you where to get a mask. If you go to, just go to Google and Google Project N95. Uh, my friend Ann Miller runs that. She's a 100% volunteer. Uh, she's been, uh, she lives in Essex. And she's, ever since the pandemic started, she uh, stood up this nonprofit mask uh, organization called Project N95. You can uh, get all sorts of masks there. And uh, I've had Ann on the show, but uh, there's a contact button, um, and uh, you can get them at, at a great price. Uh, don't go into these basements as we continue to clean up. Uh, it's filled with toxic chemicals, oil, gasoline, uh, and everything. Think, think uh, printer cartridge uh, toner. Uh, you know, all the things that make our modern life possible. Uh, well, it's all in the water in that basement. And now, and that, now it's been pumped out onto the street and it's, uh, in our waterways. It's uh, on the street as mud. That mud is going to start drying out after the latest rain. Uh, it's in the garbage that's on the sidewalks, uh, that's slowly being picked up. Uh, so even the air we're breathing out there right now, as far as I can see, I, in my email, I'm getting complaints from residents of Montpelier saying, why isn't the health department uh, taking readings and measuring how bad the air is? Uh, it's it's an issue. So uh, get a mask. And if you need to, you can get them. Uh, you know, I know I know there is debate out there about whether masks work. Uh, I have a friendly disagreement with a friend who said that masks are worthless, uh, and he didn't wear one the entire uh, pandemic. Uh, I do believe, personally, that an N95, that a high-quality United States government-approved, NIOSH-approved N95 is a mask that works. And um, it's you can get it with ear loops, or you can get them the straps around your head. Go to Project N95, and my friend Ann will help you out. She's... Uh, She's the best there is. Uh, okay. Donations. Oh, by the way, our phones are open, 244-1777. You can call me, and uh, if it's just a friendly voice you want, fine. If you want to tell me what's going on in your home or your business, great. We'll share it. If you have questions, we'll get you answers. Uh, we just want to be a place where uh, the community can gather. We have all the latest news. Uh, the governor will be live on WDEV at 11 with his latest uh, update. Um, and I know you'll get a, a, a briefing from the Agency of Human Services Secretary Samuelson on, on the latest details. If you want to donate, uh, here's how you can do it. If you want to donate to businesses uh, directly, uh Go to the Montpelier Alive website. If you, I'm sorry. If you want to donate to Montpelier only businesses, go to the Montpelier Alive website. That's MontpelierAlive.org and click on the donate button. 
that money is going out the door right now. Uh, I'm on the advisory board. Uh, nobody's getting any money. It's totally volunteer. Um, my friend Patty Comline, who started this thing, came on the show uh, to talk about it. And they in uh, – wait a minute. I just got that wrong. Sorry. Forget about what I just said. If you want to donate, donate to Montpelier Alive, uh, that will go to Montpelier businesses. That money is um, is starting to go out the door. Those are Montpelier businesses only, MontpelierAlive.org. If you want to donate to a statewide fund, that's the Patty Comline Fund. It's called VTRecovery2023.com. That money will go out, uh, is going out right now in the form of $2,500 grants, um, there will be larger grants as well, but they're trying to get that money completely out the door. As I said, all of this is uh, is being done by volunteers. In addition, if you want to uh, if you want to uh, contribute to the Vermont Community Foundation's Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund, go to vtfloodresponse.org. We had Dan Smith on the show, the CEO of the Community Foundation. Um, talking about that. So there are three funds. Uh, I know Barry has a fund. I don't, uh, and, and, and I don't have that website right now. Um, I'll get it. Uh, and if you want to do, donate directly, now those contributions are tax deductible. If you give to Montpelier Alive, it's a nonprofit, so you'll get a tax deduction. If you want to Donate directly to the Vermont Community Foundation's Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund. You'll get a tax donation. If you don't care about getting the tax deduction, you can go to the many GoFundMe campaigns that are going on right now and donate directly. You won't get a tax deduction, but uh, that's that's a direct way to get money into the pockets of these business owners. For instance, the Savoy Theater, one of my favorites, uh, where you can see non-Hollywood blockbusters, independent films, documentaries, etc. Uh, uh, they, they are they have a GoFundMe campaign. Bear Pond, Bear Pond Books, um, and and all of the other downtown shops. Uh, just Google your favorite shop, and whether it's Barry, Montpelier, Waterbury. If they are in trouble, they will have. A, most of them will have a GoFundMe campaign that you can donate directly to, and I encourage you to do it. Um, so with that, let's go to the phones, uh, and we have Forbes in Corinth. Forbes, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Um, if I can speak to something that, that really affects all of us to the east of Barrie, and that, <clears throat> that's Nelson's hardware store. Right. It was approximately... 1,500 families that uh, have to travel uh, the most deplorable Route 302 in the Barry from our region. And this is prior to the storm. That road was absolutely atrocious. But we do come over there, and, and uh, they provide just about everything anybody would ever want. And I do hope that Whatever Barry does or that region that that store is maintained, just for our sake. Well, Forbes, uh, as a guy who used to live in the beautiful downtown South Washington, 
Uh, I'm well familiar, although we took 110 into Barry, uh, but I uh, spent a lot of time in Corinth and spent a lot of time on 302. And uh, how is it right now, that road? Well, uh, they've got it reopened, but even prior to the storm, it was absolutely uh, unspeakable, uh, atrocious how, how the state could ever allow a road that uh, has such success uh, to the, everything to the east and west. If you can go through 302 up through Barry and Montpelier, it's uh, potholes. It's deplorable, and somebody really should be taking the task on that. Hey, Forbes, you know, you're a frequent caller and a, and a deep thinker about these issues. As we, as we clean out the basements and, uh, start facing how to deal with these increasingly, uh, frequent flooding incidents, what, what do we do? If you're on the select board or you're the mayor of one of these cities, how do we do we just repave the roads and and clean it out and and get going again or 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 do we have to do something more drastic well um you know here here's a classic case of the Corps of army engineers right uh definitely they should be in, into the uh, fold as to what's going on here and uh, I would say you've got to do some stabilization or some relief aspects. In case this happens again, but that would be a good resource, I would say. They have the tools, the expertise, everything else to to be able to assess and look at that situation for us. Okay. Forbes, uh, thank you. Be safe on Route 302. Um, I, 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 I feel your pain. <laughs> we, 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 used to yeah. drive, we used to drive 110 every day from Chelsea, all the way up to Montpelier, and uh, yeah, it was uh, some days I'd cut over through Williamstown, and other days I'd go through Barry, and uh, not always a perfect road. <laughs> well, it was a point of uh, actual danger. Uh, people were swapping lanes to miss mammoth potholes, cracks in the in the pavement. So it, it got down to a safety issue, yeah. not just your only uh, personal destruction of your vehicles. Yeah. But it also hindered any business coming to Barry, which is always needed in a struggle. Uh, I, I just can't believe that anybody doesn't see that. Well, if anybody is going to survive this, it's going to be Bob Nelson at Nelson's Hardware. So um, thank you for calling. Well, we hope so. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back. Our phones are open, 244-1777. The email is... Vermont Viewpoint, VT Viewpoint at RadioVermont.com. If you want to come on the line with me, feel free to call in. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. Okay, I want to go back to the the donations issue uh, because I kind of screwed up uh, describing it for you. So flood relief resources, if you want to donate, just go to WDEVradio.com. It's all right there, okay? You've got the Vermont Community Foundation Flood Response and Recovery Fund. That's for all Vermonters impacted. The Vermont Main Street Recovery Fund. That supports businesses. Flooded Business Relief Fund in Central Vermont. The Montpelier Foundation, Montpelier Alive Business Flood Fund. That's Montpelier only. The Barry Area Development Barry Community Fund, established by Barry Area Development to support small businesses, homeowners, and individuals across the Barry area. 
Vermont Flood Relief, a town-by-town list, okay? You can go there, and uh, you'll get it all. For more information, you can also go to the Central Vermont Economic Development Corporation website, cvedc.org. But if you're in doubt, just go to wdevradio.com. Let's go to the phones and... Oh, my gosh, that could be my old buddy, Meg Smith, on the line. Meg, welcome to the show. Is that you? Do we have her? Yep. Meg? She is, uh, Meg is the CEO of the Vermont Women's Fund, and we might have her. We might not. Oh, there she's going to call in again. Let's see if we can get her. Always high tech here at WDEV. I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to let you know about a couple of arts things while we while we wait for Meg to call back in. Um, in Barry, to continue our theme of Barry, uh, Studio Place Arts was not hit that badly by the flood, and Executive Director Sue Higby says they'll be open on Wednesday, July 26th, and they will uh, be open for your uh, their new show. You're absolutely spineless. Is, is in fact a group show featuring invertebrates, creatures that mostly thrive in wet or damp conditions. Not my cup of tea, but, uh, but Studio Place Arts, uh, boy, that's had a long run in downtown Barrie and great for them. Um, so, uh, do we have Meg Smith on the line? I think we do. Meg, are you on the line? Yes, Kevin. How are you doing? Meg, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, thanks. I just wanted to do a little shout-out for a woman-owned business in Montpelier, Bailey Road, Uh, that's been cleaning out its inventory and able to actually having a fundraiser, a sippin' shop at Bar Hill tonight uh, to raise money, sell some wares and raise money for restoration of her store. Uh, So that's at Bar Hill, a five to eight. Sip and shop sounds like a lot of fun, and she runs a great business in downtown Montpelier, and just wanted to support her with that. I know her well, and I'll try to go. Um, oh, and, good. and thank you for calling in. I was helping out at Bear Pond Books right next door, and I am a huge fan of her dish towels that are made in. Oh gosh, I think Croatia, but. Um, uh, she's got great. Oh, I haven't seen those. Oh, she's got great stuff there. It's a great yeah. store. She took a huge risk in uh, in doing that store, and we're all grateful that she did. So. Um, and she continues to take a huge risk. She has to pay for the space at Bar Hill herself. I mean, this is not all. This is coming out of her pocket in order to salvage and and move inventory um, in a very smart and fun way, in light of what she and so many other merchants have had to go through. So hoping to support her. Hope I see you there, Kevin. And okay. thanks so much. Okay. Meg, thank you for the call. Yeah. And we'll talk yeah. to you very soon. Charlie from Middlesex, you're on the line. We've got about 30 seconds before we got to sign off. So uh, how are you? Hi, Kevin. Long time no see. Uh, great show. I wanted to pick up on what Forbes said in respect to the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. During this crisis, at the height of the crisis, we had concerns with three reservoirs, Molly, uh, 
Lake, Molly Pond, the Waterbury Reservoir, and the Wrightsville Reservoir. Two of those three were built by Army Corps of Engineers under the New Deal. This and the other was just we had just God talk about sublime luck. Uh, Molly was finished just before 27 flood, and those three uh, and of course what 84 people died in the 27 flood. I understand one person has died in this flood. I commend the decision to move toward a government that supports its people in times of crisis like this, which means a more socialist model. I'm delighted to see that my town of Middlesex, although it doesn't have the authority to do so, is going to collect trash on behalf of its citizens, as other towns are. All a socialist move to which we need to go. And uh, that's my diatribe. Okay. Good luck. Diatribes are diatribes are always welcome here on Vermont Viewpoint. Charlie, thank you for joining us. We've got to go. I got to get over to Barry to do some cleanup. That's our show for today. This show becomes a this show becomes a podcast at wdevradio.com, and of course, you can listen live to the show anytime. I am here Wednesdays and Fridays. I will be back on Monday, filling in for Brad. And uh, Montpelier landlord Tim Heaney is going to be joining us, among others. You can find me at KevinKLS.com, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. My podcast, Conflict of Interest, examines the issues we deal with on this show. As I said, I will be back Monday, so please tune in. We'll continue talking about the flooding, the recovery, and what we need to do uh, to survive. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation, my garden, my basement, and everything else on my mind and yours. I'm already getting ready for winter. Um, Our show is produced by me, engineered by uh, and made possible by Danny McGivigan and all the folks at WDEV, including the great Greg Titus, who filled in for Danny today at the soundboard. Um, He and and I don't speak exactly the same language as Danny, but, uh, you know, we got through. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here on Friday, on Monday, live radio on the Friendly Pioneer WDEV.